We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back to the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schnarr, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're here to talk about a unit that deserves a lot of time. We'll probably give it a lot of time, I'm sure. That's the Giants secondary. Another revamped year for the secondary. It's like it's been a work in progress for a while. Fewer resources to add, really more so taken away with the James Bradbury cut. Salary cap casualty. Thank you, Kyle Rudolph, dead money. Uh, thank you, Logan Ryan, dead money. Two contracts that the smart people never wanted, but we got them anyway. And that dead money carries on. So we didn't have enough for Bradbury uh, for that one extra year. I guess he would have had to be cut next year anyway, but it would have been nice to have him for this year. But addition by subtraction, definitely not. But hopefully they can hold it together with what they have left. And hopefully the pass rush negates some of the importance of the secondary. I think that's the theme of the season. Things go right. The pass rush is clicking. And Adoree Jackson is playing at an all-pro level and Aaron Robinson stepping up. I think that's the big stuff we'll get to. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the overview here of the secondary. What are your expectations for this unit, Nick? And, you know, do you expect there to be more packages with defensive backs on the field this year? And is that something that works in their favor or maybe against them in year one as they try to rebuild the secondary out? So it's crazy, Dan, because last year I looked at the unit and I felt like it was probably the biggest strength of the New York Giants, right? I mean, you had a safety trio that didn't even include Julian Love, who we really like, and Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, and then obviously the young Xavier McKinney. And now we're looking at Xavier McKinney and Julian Love. And I look at the safeties and yeah, there's not a lot of depth there, but I am excited about it. But the cornerbacks, man, losing James Bradbury, that's devastating. Now, to your point, I, I think we're going to see a lot of multiple different types of defensive personnel packages where you're going to have multiple safeties on the field. You're going to have some dime where you're going to have four cornerbacks out there. You know, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, possibly Cordell Flott. We're going to see a lot of unique personnel packages in Wink Martindale system, which I'm excited about. But if this secondary specifically 
the cornerback spot, but even the safety spot suffers one injury, Dan. And I know we brought this up on previous podcasts, but if they suffer one injury, man, they are they are in trouble because there is not a lot of proven depth here. And you're relying on a second year player in Aaron Robinson, who I really like <laughs> and I and I think his skill set is conducive to success, but that's not a certainty whatsoever. And you have a Dory Jackson as your number one. A Dory Jackson probably best suited to be a number two cornerback. So overall, man, I look at the secondary and I think if there's anything that's going to tank the 2022 Giants, it's probably the secondary unit, although I'm very excited about specific pieces. Yeah, I think you're spot on here. And it's basically the best way to describe it. I'm excited about specific pieces. I like the potential growth for guys like Flott and Robinson. I like the potential of what a Dory Jackson can do, though I think it's going to be harder for him in this year because he doesn't have the security blanket of James Bradbury on the other side. He doesn't, in, in a lot of ways, have the security blanket of Patrick Graham, who's going to ask him to run a little bit less man, which, in my opinion, makes it a lot easier in a corner. They asked a Jory Jackson specifically. It was John Schmelk had him on the Giants.com pod and said, look, like, are you excited for Wink? And he, and he said whatever, you know, what every player in player speak would expect to say. He was pumped. He's like, this is my wheelhouse. Every corner wants to play for Wink in that style. Man-to-man, guard your man, make plays on the ball. It's fun to be in this system. I don't think he's lying about that, Nick. But at the same time, it's a lot of pressure when you're asked to play so much press man and so much just man-to-man corner on an island without as much safety help always over the top. And you can make mistakes and you could get burned, and those mistakes are amplified in that way. And it's a lot tougher. There's a lot more on your plate, in my opinion, and it's a lot, it's a lot more of a difficult task as well. So I think there's a chance that this unit, like you said, could be Unfortunately, the reason for the Giants' struggles on defense this year. It's so interesting to me, Nick, that this is a unit that we're talking about. One, doesn't really have great depth. Two, has question marks really across the board, the exception of McKinney. And and I would say Adore Jackson, though, the injury history is a bit troubling there because they've invested so much in it. I mean, I know they got screwed, quote-unquote, by the DeAndre Baker. That was a first-round pick. And Sam Beal as well, which was an early third like the first pick of the third pick of the third round, but if they were all was said and done. But they all still invested a lot. They have multiple fourth rounders they've invested. They've signed guys to big contracts. They've put a lot of resources into this position, and yet we come into it saying, well, this still could be the weak link of the group. It could definitely still be the weak link of the group, and a few of those picks that you're referring to are, are rookies, like Dane Belton, fourth-round pick, Cordell Flott, third-round pick. Those guys, it's just uncertain. But then you have guys like Michael Jaquette, you know, somebody who was with the Eagles last season. Maurice Kennedy has some experience with Wimp Martindale's system dating back to his time in Baltimore. But last year he was with Dallas. What are you expecting from those players? Jerron Williams, somebody that I feel like was good last year for the Giants. One of the surprises is getting moved to safety. Can he stick it out there? I think he, if he does make this roster, he can be maybe another surprise, but it's hard to tell just because I haven't seen him at safety. But when the Giants transitioned him last year to play Nickelback, I felt like he handled that role pretty well. But I, there's one thing I want to talk about from, as, as you like to say, Dan, a 30,000 foot view. And I think we should probably maybe just throw it out there. Because what was the one thing we did not see too often with Patrick Graham's defense, mostly in 2020, but even a little bit in 2021, and that was they didn't really give up a lot of explosive plays. They were good at containing explosive plays and not giving up those long touchdowns downfield, specifically in 2020. But with this defense and what we expect to see, a lot more man coverage, a lot more pressure, 
we're probably going to see some explosive plays. And there might, I don't think it's going to be to the 2019 level, but there's going to be some mistakes. Some of these younger cornerbacks might lose their one-on-one battles and that could result in like a 60 yard touchdown. And it might not look all that great. So that's something that I, you know, I think it's the give and take of Wink Martindale's system. It's the thing that we love. We love the fact that you're going to attempt to dictate what the offense is going to do and you're going to bring the pressure, but the catch 22 to that is <laughs> that pressure doesn't get home. You're screwed on the back end. If your guys can't cover for more than, you know, two and a half seconds or whatever. Yeah, I'd love to talk about this from the 30,000 foot view. These are always my favorite parts of our conversation on the Big Blue Banter, Nick, when we do the schematic stuff from the 30,000 foot view and we talk about football from more of a 30,000 foot view. I personally like it a lot more than the, than the, than the um, more magnified view. So on that note, like I always I, I go back and forth these days, right? Like, OK, I think about it like. So first of all, I'll say this. I don't think I don't think it will be 2019 levels because so much of that was communication based issues that I'm hoping won't be there just because it was really a poorly I don't want to say poorly coach, but a combination of bad coaching and and the wrong guys to fit in, like DeAndre Baker falling asleep in meetings, right? Corey Ballantyne being asked to do something he just wasn't ready to do, or quite frankly, probably isn't just able to do. He's not an NFL level ca- talent, which we know now. Then hopefully. Cordell Flaud, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, they are NFL-level talents. But at the same time, I think there will be a good amount of blown coverages, a good amount of big plays. I mean, look no further than the Baltimore Ravens last year when their big corners went down. And if Adoree Jackson does get injured again for like the fourth straight season, it would be either third or fourth straight season, or maybe it's three of the last four, so four of the last five, then they're going to probably be in a very similar situation to what the Ravens were. Now, the good news is schedule super easy. And they don't face that many great quarterbacks, but there are some great quarterbacks on that schedule and those guys will burn them. I mean, that's just how the system it works. But I do wonder, Nick, because all back in the day, I was such a proponent of this. Like this was during the Barry Fuel years. I don't know if you remember those. Well, I know you're um, away in, uh, with the Marines, but the Perry Fuel years were so consistently bend, don't break. And there were times where he would just infuriatingly play these corners like 12 yards off the ball at the snap and it was just like what the and then there would sometimes be just like quick hitters that went for like seven to nine and you just be like how obvious is it to any coach at any level peewee level football that these corners need to be not playing 12 yards off the snap and you know that bend don't break style and i at that stage i was like and then you got spags and i was like this is so obviously what i want i want a coach who's gonna attack dictate all of that but I wonder, Nick, like as I watch through football and as I evolve my mind last year, what were the two things? What was the exact thing that slowed down the two best quarterbacks in the NFL last year when no one thought they could be slowed down? They're coming off the 2020, uh, yeah, 2020, obviously AFC championship thumper. Or was that the, the division game where they're just firing touchdown after touchdown? I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes. And I'm talking about Josh Allen. What slowed them down last year? It wasn't dick defenses that are dictating and that are blitzing a lot. It was defenses that were dropping into that different versions of the cover two, cover three, different versions of the two high shell and taking away explosive plays and winning with four man pass rushes. And what stops a Tom Brady? It's not when you blitz Tom Brady. It's the total opposite. He had like 77 first downs against the blitz last year. The great quarterbacks, the ones you actually have to beat to make it anywhere in the NFL, to win two playoff games, win three playoffs games, to make a Super Bowl. You don't really beat them with the blitz. So that's the only thing I think about, Nick. When I when I go 30,000 foot view, I'm like, yeah, old school Dan is like, this is so great. We're definitely moving in the right direction. New school Dan's like, damn, a lot of defenses, like we talked about on yesterday's podcast or today, whenever this is going out, the defensive line podcast. Well, now they're using these new tight formations and doing things to try to, you know, 
dare you to run the football and take away every possible explosive outlet uh, outlet for an explosive pass. Well, a lot of teams are moving that direction. We've seen a lot of success with how it works against Mahomes, Allen's of the world. And I, I just think, you know, I wonder if it's if it's not the right direction to move in to slow down explosive quarterbacks. Yeah, but that's if you were to approach it with that mindset, that's kind of saying that Wink Martindale won't adjust and Wink Martindale will adjust. If you look at what he did last season with Baltimore, look, I think it was week two, they played Kansas City, right? right? They ran the most cover six and quarters coverage that game than they did in any other game the entire year. They ran the least amount of cover one. They did not run man coverage because they didn't want to guard Tyree Kill <laughs> in man coverage. They were saying, we're going to put multiple people back. We're going to line with four deep. We're going to line with three deep. We're going to take away your ability to create explosive plays. The only two games last season where Baltimore didn't run cover zero was against Kansas City and against Green Bay because their quarterbacks would make them pay. So I feel like Wink Martindale, yeah, his philosophy is that dictating that pressure. But when he has to adjust, he does adjust. And maybe that's something that he doesn't get a lot of credit for. And I bring up Ken McCusick a lot. He's somebody we had on the podcast when the Giants first signed Don Wink Martindale, when they brought him in to be the coach. And he's somebody who covers the Ravens. And he said that it's such a bad way to look at Wink Martindale if you were to approach it like this guy is always or never going to adjust. So that gives me some, you know, some reassurance that he's going to adjust. Now, I think where where he went wrong was he thought Joe Burrow, this is a second year guy. We're going to bring the pressure against Joe Burrow because he's a second year guy who was injured his rookie season and Joe Burrow just made him pay. So maybe there's a little bit of stubbornness there. But you look at these stats against Kansas City, against Green Bay, against a lot of the top quarterbacks, the established quarterbacks. He really accounted for the fact that those guys would make him pay if he brought the pressure against them and he tried to run man coverage exclusively. That's a great point. And you know, while it may not be the core of the system, like you like you might see with a Gannon in Philadelphia, where they're really like taking different players to and building around having that kind of too high system, it's still going to be something we see at times. And he even mentioned that in the giant in the thing they put on Giants.com, where he was speaking to the to his u- unit, like we will play some too high at times. Like we're not always going to do. We're going to br- rush for sometimes. I just feel like it's not the core of the system. And just kids, just something to think about as the NFL moves in a different direction, in the opposite direction, he's moving, you know, he's unique. And I think that could help them as well in a lot of ways, right? Like they're these opposing offense are going to practice against that style of defense. And Wink Martindale is going to give them a whole different style. And a lot of quarterbacks are going to get in. Some quarterbacks can get into a lull playing against those two highs and finding solutions for those, like those style defenses where they're dropping seven and they're rushing four. And then they get to face a whole different style, right? You have the players that do it. It's still not like, when Baltimore had those three corners that can all play man like that at that high level, they could play it. They're like almost unstoppable as a defense to be quite honest. Like no one was scoring on them in the passing game and no one was really scoring on them in general. Cause it's really good for the run game. As you discussed yesterday, the system is going to help their run defense. So you have the right guys for it. It works. And that's also why, as we move forward, Nick, this will be a priority position for me. I know it's all we feel like we drafted every year and it's like we've used a ton of firsts in it recently and blah blah blah. We signed a Dory, we signed Brad, but I don't care, man. Like if there's a good corner at the right spot for the Giants, just like last year where I wanted sauce and I was fine with um uh why am I blanking on his name? The kid Stingley. Stingley. Like I want one again because I know how important they are for Wink Martindale and for somebody who wants to run man coverage. And so it's just interesting to me to think about kind of the differences and how teams are changing versus where Wink is going for sure. And I think with Burrow, the it's a good point you bring up because I think part of it was also like a little bit of coaching hubris and a little bit of just like 
ego that got involved. Because I remember after the first game where Burrow torched them, he said something like, you yeah. know, bring it on. I don't what did he, I, you remember what he said? Like, I don't yeah, care he was really cocky. He's really cocky, Joe yeah. Burrow, about about defeating the Ravens. And right. I think you're right in that. That he that Wink Martindale was like, all right, and then Joe Burrow made him pay again, and it's like, all right, I don't have the horses to, to run the coverages that <laughs> I, I want. If he faced him again for a third time, like if he would again be like, no, 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 I'm doing it my way. We're gonna get this Joe Burrow guy. He's not that good. <laughs> maybe maybe he learned his lesson. Like, God oh, crap, you can't blitz Joe. No, you can't. He's a really quick processor. But it's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be fun to see. Uh, I'm curious on what Wink Martindale is gonna do against the teams that are in the Giants division. Right. Because we brought this up a couple podcasts ago about Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, their ability to kind of hold on to the football a little bit. I think you're going to see pressure against those two teams. And I also think you're going to see a loaded box against Philadelphia. And Jalen Hurts is going to have to prove his ability to defeat that loaded box and with his arm by, you know, taking advantage of one on one matchups. Now they have A.J. Brown. They could possibly do that. How are they going to play Dallas? That's where I think it's going to be fun to watch because Dak Prescott, he can handle the blitz. He can make you pay if you bring extra players. And you also have C.D. Lamb as your receiver. You have Dalton Schultz operating in the middle of the field. So I think the way he plays these three divisional opponents will be fun to watch and we'll be breaking it down extensively throughout the year. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, Nick, let's start to talk a little bit about individual players on this defense and on the corner in the secondary. Start with Adoree Jackson. So I was listening to the podcast with John Schmelk, and Adoree seems really fired up about what's going on. He's like, it feels good to be the vet in the room right now, which is crazy to say because I think he's like 26 years old, but he's the veteran right now among this unit. And he was talking about how, you know, when he came into the NFL, it, there was like a couple 2,000 babies in the locker room. He's like, now there's a lot of them in this locker room. And so it's just really interesting. I thought that was funny to hear. But he's got to be the veteran in the room. And, you know, like he said, I have to be the number one guy because I'm going to get those number one receivers this year. And he was he, he pretty much confirmed that. Schmelk kind of asked him about it. He confirmed it. I told, said earlier why he said, like, look, this defense is in my wheelhouse. I want to be able to play this style. It's fun to be in this system. And he said, you know, what does it take to be good cornerback within this specific Wink Martindale system? He said the two things we always talk about, Nick, for the corner position. One, confidence, which me and you are big believers, means almost everything. With uh, Not everything, but it means a lot at the corner position. You have to be a confident player. You have to have resilience. They kind of work hand in hand. Like You have to be able to battle back. You're going to give up big plays, especially in, a, in like he was saying, like especially in a system like this, you're going to give up big plays. You got to be able to have confidence in yourself to bounce back and know that you can execute the next play, the same way you were going to execute the first one before the bad thing happened. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, exactly. You have to be able to trust your instincts, trust your eyes, your feet, your hands, uh, be disciplined with your hips. You have to be able to do all of those things when you're out on island. And then when you give up that 25-yard catch, you have to be able to brush it off. You can't let it get into your head. You have to just go back to your fundamentals and execute that. And you know Coach Jerome Henderson is going to be pounding away on the fundamentals and pounding away on that. And I'm very happy that he was retained and he is coming back because, and I know they brought this up on, on Schmelke's podcast as well, because Jerome Henderson understands how these players learn. He understands how a Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, and players that he's been coaching for a couple of years now, how they learn. And I think that makes the transition between what Patrick Graham wanted and what Wink Martindale wants just so much smoother. So that, that's something that we don't, we might not talk about too much just as a Giants community, those positional coaches. But I think that retention of Jerome Henderson was just excellent for this 2022 team. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I know, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of different position coaches. Some we've given credit to over the years. I mean, some we've given credit to, some we've knocked. Sometimes I feel like it can be overrated or underrated in some ways, especially because we're not there every day and no one's really there every day. It's just, but as far as the, tangible results i feel like what henderson has done as a coach is pretty obvious to see you see some of the techniques that they've improved on you see a player like aaron robinson miss entire camp with a core muscle injury and hit the ground running right when he's able to play julian love i think has made strides under his tutelage and the same can honestly be said about really i can't think of anyone who's gone backward under him personally so I'm also excited about what he can do in an extra year, especially now that he gets to really teach a different, you know, like it's going to be press, man. They're going to, they're going to be on an Island. They're going to be asked to really play a style that's aggressive. And at times, you know, you can, you can see somebody like a Dory Jackson, who at times we've thought Nick has, I guess, more potential to make plays on the ball based on what we saw at the Titans than what we saw last year in his first year with the Giants. He may have more opportunities now to jump a pass and, and intercept and We might get more of those like highlight real uh, interceptions on this uh, from this group. That would be great. I mean, Adoree Jackson, his entire time in the NFL, he hasn't really produced in terms of securing interceptions. So it would be nice to see him. And I, I think he's capable of doing it. This is somebody who has ball skills. I mean, he was an elite punt returner going back to his time at USC. 
So I'm hoping that he can find his way into some interceptions. And, you know, he has the athletic ability and ability to click and close downhill to to do so. All right, let's talk about Aaron Robinson. I think at this point he's the projected cornerback, too, on this roster. What are your – I guess – so he's someone we think can play the outside, though I don't know if we necessarily believe he's had – that much opportunity to do it yet, especially at the NFL level. So that a little bit of a cause for concern. Is this more of a, you know, he's playing it trial by fire type of thing and they're going to kind of mix and match and see what happens and have a kind of a short leash? Or do you think he's going to have a a stronghold over this job and be allowed to kind of make mistakes and take chances and play free? So he played more snaps wide last year than he did the slot. I wrote a piece on Aaron Robinson maybe about a month or two ago for Big Blue View, just kind of breaking down a lot of his snaps on the outside. How now, many total so, snaps was it on the outside? So I have a piece up, right? 149 right. wide. So still not not many, but a de- more, but definitely still, I would say not enough, not enough of a sample size, at least for me. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a rookie anyway, so the sample size is still going to be limited no matter what. And a lot of those were against Philadelphia and Miami. So those were a lot of the clips. He had a couple really nice plays, brought it up several times in the podcast, the one against Jalen Rager on a fourth and one yeah. where Rager released, had a pretty good release to the to the inside. And Robinson was able to get that that outside hand into the catch point and you know, use his inside hand to kind of control Rager but not get flagged. It's a really nice play by Robinson. And then later in the game, if Rager could actually catch the football, Robinson might not have looked as good. Robinson did a good job in coverage, but the pass was pretty good by Jalen Hurts. Hit Rager in the face mask and Rager just couldn't secure it. So Robinson in that Philadelphia game, it was a little bit hit or miss, kind of got bailed out a little bit by the fact that Rager can't catch the football. But overall, man, I mean, I'm, I'm, all, I'm optimistic about Aaron Robinson, right? But I can see, and and I think it's easy to see how it might not work out, right? You mean, there's injuries. There's a lot of different things that could happen. He's still a young player. He's only 23 years old, doesn't have a lot of experience on the outside. And now you're throwing basically the weight of the world on the kid's shoulders in a system that is going to really rely on his ability to cover. I think he has the athletic ability. I think he has the skill set to do so. I just think he needs to trust his fundamentals. He needs to be disciplined. And those are all little things that we've seen throughout his rookie season. But like you said, Dan, it's not overly it's not enough to to be fully confident but it's a second year player who missed all the training camp and kind of got thrown to the fire last year it's hard to be confident in Aaron Robinson right now in this system but i'm optimistic that he'll succeed i i hope that he can i think he has the skills too i think he has the size too let's hope it actually happens yeah i want to frame this right because we're pretty optimistic in general i feel like for all these takes about the you know the the, the good outcome like the high high upside outcome um, and this, you know, there is a high upside outcome with Robinson, but real reality based, this is, would be one of my bigger concerns by far the cornerback two position Robinson specifically, because, you know, you talk about a smaller sample size, 149 snaps, a lot of them against Rager, a lot of them against whatever the dolphins were trotting out there at wide receiver two at the time. Well, now some of those wide receiver twos include Devonte Smith, uh, Michael Gallup, Jahan Dotson. These are a lot, you know, and that's just from the NFC East. It's going to be a much tougher slate for him this year. And that's and now also without, you know, a clear bona fide cornerback one who could be taking away, you know, who could be covering well enough to take away targets and to have that quarterback really leaning on whoever Aaron Robinson is guarding. It's going to put him in position to make more plays, too, but it's also going to put him in position at times to look like he's struggling out there. or Maybe like he's giving up the big plays. So I think there's a lot on his plate. He really has to do he has to adhere more than anyone to what Adori said is important 
confidence and resilience. Resilience is going to be a big factor for Robinson. He's not going to be like, he's in my opinion, it's not going to be like a smooth transition. He's immediately locked down. It's like, oh my God, what, what do we have here? It's going to be tough at times against some of these receiver too. So I'm curious he's to see if up, he can. Yeah, he's going to give up plays, man. It, it's going to happen and it, 100%. Like if there's anybody on this defense that you would circle and say, who has the most pressure on them? It's easily yes. Aaron Robinson. I'm approaching that question as if, look, I hope he can handle it. I'm optimistic that he, I'm cautiously optimistic that he can, but there are definitely avenues where he's going to fail. He's going to give up big plays. He has to be able to shake that off and then just play to his potential. And I think his potential could be a starting outside cornerback, but there are so many things that can happen to that will reduce your chances of you reaching your potential, as you just said. And I mean, there's a lot on his plate, man. You're, you're a hundred percent accurate there and not to, you know, but this is a real concern. If one of these two players get injured, Dan, who the heck is playing outside? Yeah. I mean, it's a massive concern because you're already <laughs> it's a good question as to who would do it. I mean, they might like, you know, they don't really have the flight. They don't even have the luxury anymore of using like a, a, a Julian love in that situation. Like they tried to at times in the past because they need him for another role. So it's like, I you know, we'll have to wait and see. Will it be Rodarius Williams? Will they try to, use like a Zion Gilbert or a Darren or a, or, or a Jaron Williams, move him back there. Like who knows what they're going to do if they can't have Aaron Robinson, uh, Maurice Kennedy. Like it's just, it gets ugly. There might be somebody they sign even with on the Robinson front to me. It's like, all right, well you have a legitimate corner in a Dory Jackson, right? He's locking down one of the receivers. Well, nowadays what you're asking is Aaron Robinson, a former fourth round pick, not that much NFL experience in the outside, played mixed role in college, doesn't exactly have the best straight line foot speed to keep up in man coverage. And wide receiver twos around the NFL are not that built. They're not that, they're not that, uh, what's it called? Outlook. Like, they're not fourth round picks with all of those things. They're guys like Devontae Smith. They're guys like Michael Gallup. There's guys even better. Even Alec Pierce to me could present a really tough match. Like let's say they played the Colts and Alec Pierce could present a really, and that's one of the, like the lesser wide receiver twos in the NFL. So this is just, it's a tough ask. And to me, this is by far and away the biggest question mark on the roster. Absolutely. Not Anderson. everything's going to hit. Like there's going to be, no, like, this course. is not a roster where the Giants are winning every battle. Like everything's good. Linebacker ends up great. Safety ends up great. Uh, center ends up safe. Well, up the corner, Aaron Robinson's going to be good. Like there's going to be misses. If everything ends up good, the Giants are going to go 16-0, and 17-0 and 0 and win and become the next best team of all time. Like there's going to be big glaring weaknesses on this roster. More than likely, this will be one of them. I would say the depth is definitely one of them because Aaron Robinson could work out, but Aaron Robinson might not work out. And if he doesn't work out or he gets injured, what are you putting out there? If a Dory Jackson gets injured, Aaron Robinson is forced to be cornerback one. Who is going to be cornerback two? And do you want Aaron Robinson to be cornerback one? This is the unfortunate situation that the Giants have painted themselves in. And it's not to the fault of Joe Shane. It's to the fault of a lot of other decisions that have led to this point. And this is something that is going to hold the 2022 New York Giants back. Aaron Robinson, uh, I like Aaron Robinson, but like we've said, he's not a certainty here. And you don't have a reliable contingency plan. We're talking about Rodarius Williams, a six-round pick who tore his ACL last year. And then journeyman guys like Maurice Kennedy and Michael Jaquette as that possible guy to replace Aaron Robinson if he struggles. And that's to say that the Giants' secondary is fully healthy. And I know we have Jerron Williams and you have Julian Love. 
both guys who have cornerback experience. And Julian Love, he said this in Chanelke's podcast too, he makes it a point to cross-train himself with every single position in the secondary so he can wear a lot of hats. I love that about Julian Love, but like you said, you Julian Love is playing strong safety here, and Julian Love is going to fill that role. If one of these guys go down and they don't like Jaquette, they don't like Kennedy, they don't think Rodarius Williams is up to speed, do you move Dane Belton to the starting strong safety and then have Julian Love start at cornerback? Like, is that what we're talking about here? And what is that going to do to the continuity of the defensive secondary? It's just there, there's a lot of question marks here. Like we've said this plenty of times, Dan. There's anything on this team that gives you pause. It's this secondary right now, which sucks because last season it was probably the thing you were most confident in. Yeah, it's weird how it changed so fast like that. Um, and also even in that, like, there are still two players that we're more confident about than almost anyone else on the roster within this group. That just shows, in, obviously, in Xavier McKinney, one of our most confident players on the entire roster, regardless of position, I would say, at least for both me and you. And honestly, Adoree Jackson, like, he's another player in my top three, top five most confident players. And that just goes to show how much depth you need in the secondary, how many guys you need to keep having out there in the secondary which is why you can never stop drafting too many corners and safeties. I know everyone was like, oh my God, I'm so sick of it. This draft cycle, people were like, not another corner, not another safety, but you need to. You need to keep replenishing the stock there. There's injuries, there's turnover, there's guys moving on based on contracts. Keep replenishing that stock because you can never have too many, especially when you want to do what the Giants want to do. They want to run this man coverage heavy system with a ton of dime and a ton of sub package help and a ton of corners and safeties on the field well what do you need you need depth you need talent and you need guys who can hold up and man that's not easy <laughs> these days in the nfl it's hard to find those guys in the draft so i hope the giants go back to the well next draft they did one thing at least which really helped or two things i'm sorry with dean belton and cordell flott two players we really like especially flott for me so yeah it's just going to be it's just going to be a group that i think like you said will have growing pains last year this time nick we talked about this group like Oh my God, how fun was watching the film of the 2020 season. Can you remember more than one play where they had a coverage breakdown? It was that play against Washington where Terry McLaurin caught the pass and broke a tackle. And it was the play against uh, Rams where Cooper Cup had that long touchdown literally because the Giants weren't ready before the snap and they caught them off guard and up tempo. That was two plays. This year, I feel like two plays would be a miracle. It would be an absolute miracle. And that's not just because they're, the personnel is worse. It, it is worse. But it's also because of the difference in coverage. Like, if you look at like what Wink Martindale did last year with the coverage scheme specifically, and, and his propensity to bring pressure, this dude brought cover zero. So that's an all-out blitz. So it's just me and you. I'm a cornerback. You're a wide receiver. I'm covering you. I have no safety help, and we're just bringing the farm. Right? He did that 14.4 percent of the time on third down, and on fourth down, he did it 38.9 percent of the time. He brought cover zero. So in those high leverage downs, there is going to be pressure. And if you are one little step behind off of a wide receiver's release as a cornerback, you're screwed. It all, yeah. all, all it takes is a couple inches, man. You know, and you got guys like you brought up Devontae Smith, Michael Gallup, good receivers that you're gonna have to cover. Aaron Robinson, are you gonna be able to handle that responsibility? I think he can if he plays to his potential, but it's definitely not a certainty that he will. And if he gives up one big play here, two big plays there. Can he rebound and bounce back? And that comes down to his mental toughness, and we'll have to see if that happens. We can't really weigh in on it as, as of right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it'll be interesting to see how this group develops because confidence, resilience, those are all things that 
are going to be put right to the test right early with the style of defense that the Giants plan to run under Wink Martindale. And like you said, a lot of it is also like, can the quarterback you're blitzing make you pay? Like, yeah, a receiver can get a great release on a play where you're being aggressive, but that quarterback still needs to put the ball in the right spot <laughs> with good timing and good vo- and velocity. And the good news for the Giants is they don't, <laughs> they don't necessarily play a lot of quarterbacks, in my opinion, who can make them pay. So I, I do feel better about I feel better about their lack of talent and depth in the secondary when I just think about the opposing quarterbacks they have to play. I'll be honest. Yeah, and I think there's going to be so much pressure brought on Carson Wentz. There's going to be a solid amount on Jalen Hurts. Dak Prescott, I feel like, is you know definitely an above-average quarterback in the league. That one, um, you know, you might have to get a little creative with, but you're right. It's not like they're playing Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, those types of quarterbacks again. So it should alleviate some of these issues on the back end. But again, man, it's... This is a concern, the secondary. There's there's no other way to look at it right now because we're we're evaluating the secondary, like you said, fully healthy. <laughs> if it's not, and I don't know. And who who are you gonna get? Like what team is releasing good cornerbacks, you know, at, at final cuts right, that yeah. you can bring in and who could start on us in a system that didn't have your training camp in their background. They were with another team. Like, I don't think that's going to necessarily happen. You might be able to add some depth here and there. Like, I don't know if you want to go out and sign a 34-year-old Jimmy Smith. Do you really want to do that? Like, it's just a... But even like a 34-year-old Jimmy Smith is going to have some kind of contract expectation. That's the bigger issue, too, mm-hmm. with any of the actual guys who can play the position better than any of the guys they already have on the roster. It's like, well, yeah. they will have a contract expectation. The Giants don't have any cap space. So, so how is it going to get done? And that also brings me... Yeah, you're right, 100%. And that also brings me to Cordell Flott. Like... What's Cordell Flott's role going to be, Dan, in this in this season? Like he, he spoke on Schmelke's podcast, and this is something that we saw just for him playing at LSU. He's a little bit more comfortable playing nickel right now. And I think in dime packages, you can have Flott on the field with Darnay Holmes. But I'm wondering, say, if an injury does happen, do you attempt to put Cordell Flott, who has solid length, solid size, other than the fact that he's like 170 pounds soaking wet, do you want to put him outside like is that going to be something that happens in like week four when the giants right. are struggling to defend these explosive plays what will rodarius williams offer you as a six-round pick remember he was a talk of training camp last year everybody was talking about him and he got injured early in the season but what we saw from him early in the season wasn't all that great outside of what we saw in preseason and training camp so you know a lot of these young guys man like there's a lot of pressure on them but at the same time if they can seize the day and rise to the occasion then they can hopefully you know secure their secure somewhat of a spot here on this team for the foreseeable future. So there's opportunity here. It's just none of it is proven. None of these players are proven and they haven't seized opportunity yet. So, I mean, I'm excited for them, but it's definitely as a fan and somebody who covers the team, it's, it's kind of concerning. Yeah. That among everything you said might be the most interesting to me. Do the giants have a different plan for Cordell Flott than what we might think right now? The expectation is Flott's going to play slot. Flott's going to compete to play in the slot. Maybe it's going to take him a year. But like you said, the war of attrition could take its toll. Like in week four or five, we might be looking at it like we were last year. Aaron Robinson got a a chance earlier than anyone expected coming off that core injury. Maybe it's Flott who who gets that chance, who they're like, all right, here it is, buddy. (laughs) We didn't expect this in year one, but now you're playing on the outside. There, There could be some really interesting development as far as who's playing corner on the outside. I wouldn't be totally surprised if, they consider going the Gettleman route too, um, and trading for a corner, you know, like the, the kid they got from the Broncos a couple years ago. I'm not forgetting was on the Packers. Isaac Yidem. Like it wouldn't be Yidem. It would be a totally different style of corner. Yidem would never fit in the system, but 
they find some guy who they're like, you know what? We liked this guy two years ago to play man. Wink talks about him. We were looking at him in Baltimore. He's kind of, he was a fifth or fifth round pick in 2020 type of thing. Sixth round pick in 2020. He might not make that roster. They drafted over him. There's a lot of talent there. Eh, he might not make that roster. Let's trade for him. Let's give a seventh round pick. That wouldn't surprise me either as well. I know that the the Bills run a different defensive system under Leslie Frazier. But remember, the Bills just selected Kyrie Elam in the first round. They also added, I think, like a sixth round pick. There could be somebody on the back end of the Bills roster that Joe Shane liked and would want to compete. You know, I don't really know exactly who that would be because it wouldn't be someone like a Dane Jackson. I wouldn't imagine because they seem to be, you know, a pretty big part of what Leslie Frazier has done. But we look a lot at the Ravens and people who play with the Ravens, rightfully so. But you could also look at the Bills roster and somebody who gets cut or is going to get cut, Giants could, you know, throw a seventh round pick at, bring them in and have them compete with Jaquette and, and guys like Kennedy. And on that note, before we transition a bit to safeties, let's talk about a heated battle in camp that I think we're all looking forward to. Probably one of the top one, two, three at most battles of camp. Slot corner, Darnay Holmes, Cordell Slot. How are you feeling about slot right now? I feel like out of all the things going on in the secondary, it's probably the one I'm least concerned with as far as, you know, just I feel like they can get something good out of one of these two in the slot. Yeah, it's probably the one that I'm least concerned about as well. I would say I, I think Darnay Holmes has the inside track and Darnay Holmes was not selected by Joe Shane. But I felt like last year before he was injured against Philadelphia, week 12 he had that interception when he was guarding Quez Watkins over the middle of the field I thought we saw some strides now it was a little rocky in the beginning of the year you know he wasn't playing a full complement of snaps or anything like that but I do believe he has the athletic capability to play man coverage I think he gets a little bit grabby which is something that you know does give me some concern but the thing I like a lot about Darnay Holmes yes he's small but that dude is tough pound for pound he comes downhill bro and he sticks you he is not shy to tackle whatsoever and I've always respected that about Darnay Holmes and I think Cordell Flott coming in being at his weight and just kind of learning the speed of the game he's probably going to start at least behind Darnay Holmes I think Flott can win that battle in training camp if Holmes doesn't have the best camp and because Flott is hand selected by Wink Martindale and all of that jazz so I think that can happen, but I would have to give Darnay Holmes the slight edge right now, and I'm hoping that he can really play to his five-star potential because we haven't necessarily seen that yet. He needs to be a little bit more disciplined just in general in coverage, but he has the capabilities in terms of his athletic ability to excel in man coverage, which is something he's going to do quite often. Yeah, and he sounded pretty confident in talking about it. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thought process with Holmes because I think – on the surface, on one hand, there are big issues for me as far as can he play man coverage at an NFL level with the arm length, with the tendency to get grabby that we've seen against NFL receivers. But then you look at the college tape, and he was at one point one of the best man corners, did a great job against a player like Marquise Brown, who I guess size-wise it, it fits the skill set of what he can do. I think he'll be an interesting it'll be an in, it'll be interesting to watch him battle on the inside, I guess, against somebody like Flotten Camp and all the receivers they get, they have to throw out them. They have some good slots to throw out them. Wondell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, once he gets healthy and up to speed. So we'll have to see what happens there. I think they're, they're, it, it's a good debate, though. Like, can he exceed what he's done so far at the NFL level? Because I would say at times he looks good. At times it looks like he's overwhelmed. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to, to phrase it. So hey, he has a clean slate right here. He's got to prove it. There's another nickelback that, 
has some experience with Wink Martindale and Khalil Dorsey, who, who played with Baltimore Ravens. He's a similar type of size. Mr. Darnay Holmes, I haven't extensively watched the tape on him, but I wanted to throw his name out there because he's kind of exclusively one of those nickelback types. And if you know we were betting men, I would imagine that Dorsey is pretty significantly behind Flott and Holmes, but this is training camp. Anything can happen, so it's just another name to monitor. Yep, without a doubt. All right, let's talk a little bit about the safeties. I want to start with Xavier McKinney at the top, who I think we both agree took a major step forward last year within the second year of Patrick Graham's system. Did a lot of things great. Didn't get any kind of pro ball or all pro consideration. Thought that was a little bit of a snub, especially with what he was able to do as a ball hawk in some of those single high situations. This year, he talks about how he really likes the transition to Wink Martindale's defense. He said, I did a lot of similar things in deep in this defense now that I did back in college in Alabama. So it's not unfamiliar for me, but it is a lot different than what we did the last two seasons. So it's a lot of moving around for me, being able to make plays. That's good for me. Reminds me of the stuff I got to do at Alabama. It's a lot of moving for me specifically. I get to blitz, cover, play, cover and play the deep part of the field. He says, I have an opportunity to get back to being the player I want to be. That I thought was interesting as well. I feel like he feels... A lot more free in this system and like this system can maximize him based on what it's asking him to do. One thing that he said is going to be different that he's really excited about. I want to get to the two things. There's two things that I thought were really interesting. One thing was I'm like, he said, I'm excited about blitzing more because in his words, he hasn't blitzed in two years. He said he's had zero blitz calls in the last two years. He said the one total blitz call he's had was in the preseason last year versus the Patriots. And he said that was it. Zero regular season blitz calls. And now he's going to get that opportunity. So what are your, but this is already going to be different, right? He's not just playing the deep half in this system. We'll talk again about what, it, another thing he said that's going to be different. Um, but I want to start here with the blitzing because that's not something he's been able to do. That's something we liked when we saw in his film in Alabama. I remember us talking about that. Remember, he had 33% of his snaps at Bama in the box. 33% over the slot and, slot and 33% around this, by the way, not exactly, in the deep half. So clearly he has experience playing a lot of different roles, a lot of different hats, and now he's finally going to get an opportunity to blitz. What do you think about that? Yeah, the post and the single high, that's that's what you mean, I think, when you, when you say the deep half. But he's going to play the, those posts, the single high, that's what he's going to do. He's going to do everything. He's going to be in the box, he's going to blitz. I think the only time I remember him actually pressuring the quarterback over these last two years was in week one against Denver on that touchdown to Albert O. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was him that had that pressure on Teddy Bridgewater and flushed Teddy Bridgewater out. But you're right. That wasn't a design blitz. I think that was like a play action where he just adjusted. So I'm excited. And I think that's going to keep offenses on their toes because, hey, this guy could come, you know, trust me, offenses last year knew, okay, that guy never comes in a blitz. We don't really have to worry about him. So you can probably take him out of the protection package whenever he was aligning up closer to the line of scrimmage. It wasn't something that that happened too extensively. Now we're going to see him coming. We're going to see him dropping. We're going to see him playing man coverage on tight ends, on slots. We're going to see him doing a variety of different things. And I'm just excited about that because I believe there is a of potential with Xavier McKinney. Like he, he can really break out here. And I feel like he broke out last year. And you're right. He was a Pro Bowl snub. But this is a 24-year-old who's smart, who's tough, who is athletic. And I feel like when you ask him to come, like we saw in Alabama on the Blitz, he can have success in doing that. So I'm looking forward in general to Xavier McKinney. I'm looking forward in general to Julian Love, who is another player who can do so many different things for you. So as long as these players can execute all the roles that Wink Martindale wants them to execute and asks them to execute, 
then I think it could help hopefully mask some of the deficiencies in the secondary because you can be completely ambiguous with the coverages that you're going to run because you can't align them close to the line of scrimmage. You can't bail them right before the snap. You can't bring them on the blitz. You can't align them in man coverage. You can do just a lot of different things to really keep that offense guessing. And all you got to do is have that quarterback hesitate for a split second, and that can result in a sack. Yeah, without a doubt. And one thing I'm thinking about in regards to that is McKinney shows really, in my mind, elite level athleticism to break. I saw I put a lot of clips up on this when I was breaking down uh, film from last year. I was just looking through some McKinney stuff. We talked about it on our All-22 podcast each time it happened. But there are just plays where they, they would swing a quick hitting pass to the outside, and he would break, and he would go downhill, and he would turn what could have been like a big screen gain into a two-yard game. And they did it in the run game at times. Obviously, wasn't asked to do it much as a blitzer. But that that skill set, that natural athleticism and and instincts is going to help him as a blitzer for sure when they're using him like this. That's why he's so excited to get back to doing it. So I think this fits his skill set. It's a good thing for him. It's a good thing for us, for Giants fans. And one other thing he said that's going to be different is he expects to match up against some of the best tight ends. Those tough tight end matchups or those tough big slot matchups, they're going to start to ask him to do it, which is not something we've always seen. What are your thoughts on that? I'm excited to see. I think he can have success in that role, covering a tight end. I mean, there's going to be times where Dallas Goddard might get him. But if you were to ask me, hey, one-on-one matchup, your best player against the opposing tight end, who do you want to execute that? First name that comes to my mind, I believe, is probably Xavier McKinney. Now, doesn't mean that he's always going to do that, because similar to Kayvon Thibodeau, who we talked about a couple of days ago, Kayvon Thibodeau is probably best dropping into coverage. He's probably best rushing the passer, but he can only do one of those things, right? So there are times where Xavier McKinney can line a man covered, but there are also times where he can drop. I think Julian Love is another player who can play man coverage on tight ends, and that's kind of the reason why I'm I'm optimistic about the trio of McKinney, Love, and even Dane Belton. I think a lot of them, I think all three of them are versatile. I think all three of them are very smart. I think all three of them are tough players. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. But if I had to choose one to play man coverage against a tight end, it's probably McKinney. So I'm hoping that, you know, that works out for the New York Giants because you have Dalton Schultz, you have Logan Thomas if he returns healthy, and you have Dallas Goddard. And that's in your division, that's three pretty solid tight ends right there that are probably going to need some players who are reliable to play man coverage on them because the Giants are going to run solid amount as we've talked about extensively yeah without a doubt it's going to be some tough matchups against the tight ends um something he confirmed that uh to john schmelk in that same podcast was you know it they can play interchangeable but he said it's definitive he's the free safety julian love is the strong safety and then when they talked to julian love he said something similar about you know how you know they talked about being down in the box something you know this is going to be a transition for love too we're going to get to as well He's really asked to play a much bigger role than he's ever played in a more defined role in my mind. One other thing for McKinney is he talked about how Brian Daves has really done a great job connecting with the players. Communication, he said, is the biggest difference. Communication, he has everybody on the same page. So I feel like that was just something interesting to note as well. All right, let's talk about Julian Love, who said this Wink Martindale system reminds him a lot of just playing pickup ball with his friends. He says, but now you don't have to wait for five Mississippi. We're trying to get there faster. So I thought that was really fun to hear as well. And he said, Wink, what he loves about him is he's transparent. He shows the intentions of everything that he asked them to do. He's very forward. Guys know what they have to work on. Yeah, it seems like Wink Martindale really connects with the players really well. Seems like everybody's speaking very highly of him. I would imagine that everybody would. They're not going to be like, oh, my new coach sucks, you know. But at the same time, a lot of people with Baltimore were talking, you know, just 
glowing reports on Wink Martindale. And in terms of Julian Love, man, we, we've talked about it for years now about Julian Love, how he's a Swiss Army knife for a secondary because he can execute basically any coverage that you ask him to do. You could drop him in the box and he's really tough and physical and he's a good tackler. I, I loved his angles of pursuit. I think he's a deceptive athlete in terms of his ability to kind of come downhill and maneuver in, in short spaces and kind of like the agility that he shows in that area fill and run support to track outside and run support and also be a asset as a man coverage type of defender while having the mental acuity to handle a variety of different roles, disguise, use good timing, etc. All of those types of things. So I, I'm a big fan of Julian Love. And I'm also like looking at him and I'm like, this is his last year here in New York uh, under his rookie contract. Do the Giants think about maybe extending a player like this? Because I do believe his skill set fits well with what Wink Martindale wants. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it depends a lot on how he transitions to more of a full-time role versus kind of like what he'd have been doing, which is more of a jack of all trades, fill in when you when you need to in different in different ways and different varieties. I wonder if he'll have what it takes to to be used more as a box safety. To me, he doesn't project as the perfect type of box safety, somebody who I really want in there filling a lot, um, playing that alley, but It'll be interesting to see because he's never he's proven that he can do all the other things they've been asked, even the times where they've tried to use him as an outside corner. He's proven he can hold up there, albeit mostly in zone, but that's OK. And so I'll, I'm, I'm not going to put it past him. I think he's he can definitely rise to the occasion. He's a fun player, and I think Dane Belton is another player that is going to be fun to watch him grow within this system. Obviously, he's a rookie. There's going to be mistakes. But if you go back to his Iowa tape, some of the interceptions that he came away with in the way that he baited opposing quarterbacks to to throw the slant when he when the quarterback thought he was covering the flat, but the way he just pivoted off his outside foot to undercut the slant and come away with an interception – he had a couple plays like that in the short and intermediate parts of the field. I think he can come away with turnovers. I think he can also play man covered. And he talked about this on Schmelke's podcast as well. He, you know, set the edge. He was a big part of the continuity of Iowa's run defense, which was really important. It was a really, really good defense. I think Dane Belton is going to have a role on this team. And he's somebody who you're going to see out there. Three safety packages with Julian Love, Xavier McKinney. And if one of those two players end up getting injured, Dane Belton's probably going to be forced into a, a a role that is going to be a lot for a rookie, but he has a good head on his shoulders. It seems. Yeah, that's a great call. I think you're, you're right about that. He's going to play. You said it when we when, when he was drafted, he's going to play a bigger role than people expect. I think you're right. Again, this is a defense. They want to use a lot of safeties. They want to use a lot of dimes. So it totally makes a lot of sense that he could, he could work his way in early on How about the rest of the safety group. Who do you see stepping up? I was a big fan of Yusuf Corker when I got a chance to watch a little bit of him. I think he brings a lot of that downhill ability to play in the box and I think that could lead to him playing a little bit more than people expect in his first year. Yeah, I think if there was anybody, I'd probably say Corker because the three that – the four, I guess, that we're talking about here. And I, I think – I would like to say Jerome Williams is going to make the roster, but it's definitely not a certainty. He has to prove himself at safety, but I think the fact that he has a cornerback background will, will assist him in making this roster, but anything can happen. So you have Jerome Williams, you have Henry Black, who was with Green Bay last year. Didn't have great tape from the little bit that I saw, but I didn't watch him extensively. Trenton Thompson, he is from San Diego State, and then Yusef Corker. I would like for Jerome Williams to make the team if he can prove himself at safety because I do like the fact, like I said earlier, the cornerback background. But Corker can fill the alley. Corker is an extremely poor man version, less athletic version of Jabril Peppers, right. but he can be a thumper coming downhill, fill the B gap, fill the C gap, get outside, make a sure tackle, 
and bring some hit power to the point of attack. I like Corker. I also like Trenton Thompson. I feel like he has more coverage upside. I feel like he's better in man coverage, a little bit more fluid. It didn't bear out in his combine. He didn't have the best uh, combine stats or anything like that or pro day. But when you watch his tape, I felt like he was a little bit more fluid. He's rangy for, for a bigger guy as well. And he also has hit power and he has special teams background. So I think the battle between Corker and Thompson will be fun to watch. I'm hoping one of those two will make the team, possibly both, depending on what the Giants are going to do with the their safety position. I, I imagine it's probably only going to be one spot unless they really just don't like Jerron Williams. So I think that's another quiet, interesting camp battle between Thompson and Corker. And then you can even throw Jerron Williams and Henry Black in there as well. So I think they can have a role, though. I, I do. I think if they make the team, they, they will see the field eventually by mid-season, possibly towards the end of the season, earn some snaps here and there. Corker maybe a little bit more on rundowns. Thompson a little bit more on pass downs. Thank you so much for tuning into Big Blue Banter Podcast. It's the last of our position previews. We won't get into special teams until the camp. we got a lot coming up, though. We're going to try to do that all-time Giants draft, so keep an eye out if you did put your name in. If not, Leave us a rating review or comment on iTunes if you want to, or, or Twitter if you want to uh, join us for that. We're going to pick somebody and we're going to do an all-time Giants draft, three-team draft. Should be fun. It's enough quarterbacks to make every team pretty decent at least. Obviously, one or two will have a little bit of an edge, but that's just part of it. And at least you'll get the snake if you don't get one of those quarterbacks. Or maybe you don't take a quarterback in one, right? Lawrence Taylor's on the board, so so who knows? Maybe you could go out to see instead, but that'll be fun. Then we're going to get into a lot of training camp content. Daily coverage there as it, you know, not not right away. It's going to take some time. Usually training camp's a little slow at first, but content often early there. And we're going to get into some fun stuff we did last year too, like bold predictions, breakouts, things of that nature. Thanks again for tuning into Big Blue Banter Podcast. As always, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.